Welcome to the Filipino American Woman Project, also known as TIFA Project for short, a podcast show that features stories and life lessons told by American women of Filipino descent. We're your co-hosts, Jen Amos. And I'm Nani Dominguez. And thank you for joining us. If today's conversation resonates with you, text us and let us know at 415-484-8329. And if you want to show us some love, buy us boba at buymeacoffee.com forward slash Jen and Nani. It says coffee, but we love boba. Again, that's www.buymeacoffee.com slash Jen and Nani. Awesome. With that said, thank you all for your love and support. Now let's get into the show. All right. Hey, everyone. Jen Amos here. Just a quick announcement before we dive into today's discussion. So as a reminder, we are in the running for the 16th annual People's Choice Awards. And if you love our show and want to continue to amplify our stories, go ahead and nominate us. And here's exactly how you do it. What you want to do first and foremost is go to podcastawards.com. And this is really important. When you visit that website, there's a blue button that says nominations voting now open. And you are going to have to register and verify with your email address in order for your nomination to count. So once you do that, there's a section that asks for you to vote for the biggest podcast influencer. Feel free to vote for me or Nani or both. I don't know if you can do both, but try anyway, right? (laughs) And then what you want to do is vote for the Filipino American Woman Project in the two following categories. So the first one is Adam Curry's People's Choice Award. So make sure you select the Filipino American Woman Project for that as well as society and culture. So once again, please select us in the following categories, Adam Curry's Podcast Choice Awards, as well as society and culture. And of course, if you want to support my other podcast show that's dedicated to our American military families, go ahead and select Holding Down the Fort Podcast for the category Government and Organizations. So there you have it. Once you do that, go ahead and save your nominations. Feel free to check out the other podcast shows as well if you want to nominate other people. But those are the main categories that we are asking for. Adam Curry's People's Choice Award, Society and Culture. And then, of course, if you want to support my other podcast show, Holding Down the Fort, go ahead and select that for the category Government and Organizations. Once you save your nominations, remember, remember to go to your inbox and verify your email address to ensure that your vote gets counted. All right. So nominations are open until July 31st. I want to thank you all for your continuous support here at the Filipino American Woman Project. And without further ado, enjoy today's conversation. Hey, everyone. Welcome back to another episode of the Filipino American Woman Project. I am your founder and co-host, Jen Amos. And as always, I have my incredible co-host with me, Nani Dominguez. Nani, welcome back. Hey, everyone. Welcome back. Some quick announcements before we get started. Of course, if you want to support our show, you can actually support us at biasboba.com. And at the time of this recording, Nani, we released an exclusive episode on Chismas with Jen and Nani that people can only have access to at biasboba.com, an interview with your dad. <laughs> and, Yay! Um, <laughs> 
crazy. It's crazy. Do you have any initial thoughts about that experience and why people should listen to that right now? (laughs) Yeah. Well, my dad is like a typical Filipino dad who will normally give you just like one word answers and brush off everything that you say and make (laughs) jokes about everything. So I was entirely really, really proud of him for doing his best to elaborate and be serious and, you know, give us some pretty extensive answers to the questions that we were asking him. So it was a special opportunity for me to get to have that conversation with him, A, on air and B, with you, Jen, because like he said, you're part of the family. And so finally, you guys were able to at least virtually meet, which will happen in person, hopefully sometime next year. But for now, I think that conversation was a really good way to just introduce him both to you and to the Tifa family. So if you guys haven't already subscribed on biasboba.com, go do that now so you can watch that fun interview and laugh at all the awkward moments. (laughs) Yeah, which by the way, went for like two hours. And Mm -hmm. just like how you said that he's usually a one-worded answer kind of person. I just want to say I am proud of us for being able to give him that safe space to open up the way that he did because that was literally the first time I was talking to him. So I mean, that's my impression of him. My impression is like, oh, he's conversational, you know, yeah. so it'd be really interesting to meet <laughs> him in person. And it's like completely different, you know, so oh, it will be completely different. Yes. <laughs> uncle, I hope, <laughs> I hope that wasn't a one-time thing. <laughs> um, but I would love, I mean, just thank you again, uncle. I'm sure I know that you listen to this and you especially listen to the audio quality of our show and how we do our editing and stuff. So I just want to thank you so much for your continuous support and to our listeners, it's an amazing conversation. You're going to love it. Again, go ahead and check it out. Just Ms. Janani at our website, biasboba.com. And then just real quickly, I want to remind you all that our academic paper is out, Panay Podcasters. It's available to read now. Just visit panaypodcasters.com. So anyway, if I sound like not as enthusiastic as normal. It's because it's my time of the month. So bear with me all. (laughs) And this is a safe space. So I can say that. But without further ado, Nani, I am so excited to bring on our guest because I feel like we have been talking to her for like ever. (laughs) And we both were part of Nicole Mashali's coaching program at the beginning of the pandemic in early 2020. So let me go ahead and introduce you all to Francesca McKenzie, a little bit about her. I normally don't read people's bios because we kind of just like jump into it, but I want to read her bio because I think her bio is really awesome. Mm -hmm. So Francesca is an actor, educator, and producer originally from San Francisco Bay Area. So there you go, Nani, (laughs) represent. (laughs) And after graduating from Yale School of Drama with a master's in acting, Francesca co-founded Encompass Collective, an ensemble of teaching artists trained at Yale School of Drama, offering actor training and consultation for BIPOC artists at sliding scale rates. Francesca has performed in theaters all over the country, film and TV, and most importantly, in her Lola's living room. (laughs) So without further ado, Francesca, welcome to the show. Hello, I'm happy to be here. Hello, hello. Yeah, I'm just excited because I know that we've been communicating for some time. And, you know, I really just real quickly, a quick shout out to Nicole. And in case anyone is interested in knowing who I am talking about, Nicole Mashali, she is episode 70. And you can check that out at thetifaproject.com. She was with us September 25th of 2020. Wow. I just feel like that was forever ago. But Francesca, you and I were part of her coaching program at the beginning of 2020. So any initial thoughts of like from that time to where we're at now? <laughs> it's it's just crazy, you know, like 
that we were on Zooms before the pandemic. Mm-hmm. And I had already been a fan of the podcast at that time. But then having that cohort during the lockdown and the, you know, the beginnings of the pandemic was really nice, but still just, I think back on it, it feels like 10 years ago and it was just yeah. a very crazy time, but I was thankful that I was in that group. You know, there were a few things that kind of kept me grounded and sane. And that was definitely one of them, you know? Yeah. Yeah, for sure. Like I'm actually, (laughs) yeah, it was interesting because at the end of 2019, I was telling my family that I was looking into some form of a life coaching of sorts or just kind of any kind of coaching. I was like, I'm looking for something and, you know, don't buy me a gift for my birthday. Just give me money so I can, you know, invest in something. But then my sister, Josephine, who has been on our show as well. So I just want to give a shout out to that episode. It's a holiday special that we did in December. You can hear her and my mom, episode 82. So anyway, my sister decided to gift me with Nicole Michali's program. And it was great. Like I was pleasantly surprised, mainly because I didn't realize how fruitful it was to be with other BIPOC women. You know, like to be in that shared space and to be learning and growing together. And I know that's something that you very much focus on as well, Francesca, with the Encompass Collective, which I know we'll get into a little bit later. But yeah, same with you. I think that was definitely one of the things at the beginning of the year that kept me grounded. (laughs) Definitely. And I actually, I met your sister because I was going to JL's events, which is also one of my favorite episodes that y'all have had because yeah, is so incredible. And that's how I met your sister, which is funny because when I hear you talk, I feel like y'all sound the same. Like y'all, I was like, I was on the phone with her like literally last night because we've been talking about like, I mean, actually I'm going to say like, this is like a secret for everyone in the upcoming episodes. But anyway, I was talking to her last night and I was just talking about like, oh, you know, like right now she's in the process of like uncovering stories about her dad through family. And I said like, oh, it'd be so great to eventually do like a podcast episode where we talk about about this. This is not about the secret that I'm saving, by the way. This is like a totally different topic. But she even made this comment of like, she's like, well, I wonder if people would be able to tell us apart because we sound the same. (laughs) And I was like, we'll find out. Like, I mean, I'd like to believe I sound a little more animated. I don't know. But I guess we'll leave it to our listeners, (laughs) you know, like figure out like, oh, is that Jen or is that Josephine? But also shout out to JL Umi Pig. She's incredible. As I think we all know, she definitely had one of the most downloaded episodes on our show. So if you haven't heard her episode yet, check out episode 16 at tforproject.com. But yeah, I'm so glad that you met my sister even for a day <laughs> from what it sounds like. Well, because we used to go, you know, like JL would host like decolonization school events in yeah. Brooklyn. So we would end up going to similar things. And I think Joe has been friends with JL for a while. I get the impression or they've they've known each other for a while. So I was just just starting to get involved in that community before the pandemic and starting to get to know all these awesome Filipinas and like non-binary Filipinx folk. And then, of course, when the pandemic hit, it all sort of all of that work became a lot around this organization that JL works with, the Center for Bibelon Studies, which was founded by a bunch of people, including Lenny Strobel. And mm-hmm. that has been a really interesting, I don't know if either of you have gone to any of their events. I haven't gone in a while because I'm having so much Zoom fatigue, but they do really cool decolonization work that's mm-hmm. like based in Filipino indigenous practices, which is really cool. Yeah. 
No, that's incredible. I definitely have to shamelessly say publicly that I haven't gone to any decolonization school yet. And yet, you know, just seeing how it's benefited my sister, you know, like it's interesting because in us growing up, I never really noticed if she was like into our culture at all. Like in high school, at least up until college, it was only until college when I think she joined a Filipino organization, did a Filipino culture night, but most of her friends were pretty diverse. So I always kind of wonder, like, does she care about her culture? So then when she came out to New York and got involved with Ray's Panay and JL and Meepig and all the incredible Panay's there, I was like, oh, okay, so she's into it. But also I feel like she kind of went through a more intensive experience than me just because of all the teachings that you all are doing out there um, in regards to, you know, decolonization. So it's just amazing to know that, you know, in New York, there was a space for that for all of you to, you know, kind of be in community together and do that hard work because it's a lot of hard work from what I gather. I don't know, Nani, have you taken any decolonization classes yourself? Have you had any experience with that? No, I haven't, but I have some of the books by Dr. Lenny. And so I don't think I've actually finished any of them, but I've started, (laughs) you know, I start books and then I don't finish them, but I have definitely come to realize quickly her value to the community and all that she has to teach. So I would love to one day, you know, have access to her, whether that be like a podcast conversation or taking one of her classes or something like that. And talking to JL in episode 16, so early on, in our podcasting journey was definitely transformative. And one of the episodes that we got the most feedback on after we released it. And so I know that she's also pregnant now, expecting her first child soon. So shout out to JL and sending lots of love and blessings for her and her new baby. But once she gets settled into her like new mommy life, we would love to definitely reconnect with her at some point, especially for Christmas with Jen and Nani and just tap in with her. So yeah, that is, I think, the way that I receive my education, my cultural education these days is through our podcast and through our platform, just because my bandwidth, like you mentioned, the Zoom fatigue and just that routine that we've all developed during this pandemic is you got to make sure not to spread yourself too thin, but also be really intentional with your time and energy. So trying to find that balance still. (laughs) Yeah, absolutely. I mean, I don't know any other organizations like the Center for Bible and Studies. And what's really cool about them is now that it's, I mean, I guess it's a silver lining. It's like, because it's all digital, the community is international, you know, mm-hmm. like people in Canada. and Yeah, it's so accessible. It's so accessible. And, and it's, yeah. I don't know. I th- Well, I, before I moved to New York, I was based in New Orleans. And I moved there after I graduated from Santa Clara University, go Broncos. <laughs> and I remember, you know, like I was teaching there, I was doing theater and I kept on feeling a, an ungroundedness. And I started to see how a lot of my friends that are from New Orleans, because if you've been to New Orleans, you know, there's such a deep culture there. People, mm-hmm. especially like black diaspora, you go there, you can feel the history, you can feel mm-hmm. You can feel your ancestors there. At least my friends can when they go or when, you know, that are from there that live there. And it's like the culture and where you came from and how you treat people is so ingrained into that culture that I was starting to recognize that I didn't know where I came from. Like I felt Mm -hmm. like an ungroundedness, which I'm sure you can attest to, like in your podcast journey, that that feels very Filipino too. Yeah. Like that, like what you were saying about your sister, not whether she was interested in the culture or not. Like, I feel like there comes a point where you choose, like, 
do I care? How come I haven't thought about this before? And I definitely had that in New Orleans because I was inspired by the people around me and the culture around me. And the Center for Bible Studies is definitely the first one that I was like, oh, I feel like a rootedness to this. Yeah. I feel a deeper understanding of myself when I listen to JL talk or like the other facilitators and teachers or Lenny Strobel. She's in the Bay Area. She just like sits in her garden and chills and she's always down to talk to people. So I feel like you definitely should reach out to her for for the podcast because she you just feel her energy, you know, like when you hear her talk or when you talk to her, there's such a a kindness. Yeah. You know, it's like when you're speaking to a, like a spiritual leader, you know, yeah. she's also just like sitting in her garden and like looking at chilling (laughs) (laughs) and it's like, it's incredible. You know, she's really, she's really incredible. Yeah, no, she's, she's goals for sure. And you can catch that vibe through her writing too, you know, even just reading her books. So I think that, you know, the things that she's published or the classes that she's hosting now, or the openness that she has to the community, it just helps us. We all realize that kind of disconnect that we have from our culture, from our roots at different points in our life, you know, like Jen, for you, it was earlier. And then for your sister, it was at a different point in her time. And it's all triggered by, you know, different types of events. So I think that having access to people like that is really important. And whether you're doing it in a more formal way, like through a class or through a center or just listening to a podcast, it's just like, take advantage of it. Well, I know you to Kiznania. When I was in the Bay Area, I know that you were part of Gabriella. And Gabriella does those PSR trainings, which I yes. feel like I've done three of them. <laughs> like three or yeah, four I definitely did it, I think, three times. Yeah. And then I was going to actually start hosting part of it. Did I host one time? <laughs> I don't remember. Like, what is reality? At- <laughs> yeah. Pandemic so times like, are like non-existent. <laughs> It was so long ago, but that information is so valuable. You know what I mean? Because where else do you have access to it? And so that's why I did it so many times because I was like, I know my learning style and I know it's hard for me to like retain information, you know, so I want to make sure that I really get this, this history and this context down so that I can learn the language to talk about it basically. Right. And I think I'm a bit of a book nerd, you know, so I'm on to these academics, like she comes from an academic background and PSR what it's like what does it stand for it's like Filipino history and revolution society revolution yeah society Society revolution and I haven't read the book I have just done the trainings with Gabriella or with Mm -hmm. the organization and I think it like kind of makes sense because we're an oral storytelling culture and I'm like yeah I would rather like talk to people about it and go through that And, and to me I feel like the more I learn about like Filipino history and like our legacy of revolutions and all the, you know, oral storytelling, because I'm an actress, I identify as a storyteller primarily, you know, because I I wear a lot of different hats. I'm a producer, I'm a director, I'm a writer, but mostly I I love to act and just be present in the moment, you know? And that to me feels very Filipino. Like the more I learn about Filipino history, I'm like, oh, I make sense. As opposed to like when I'm at Yale and I'm learning about all of these like white, het, cis, you know, playwrights. And for so long growing up in school, I'm like, I don't care about Walt. I don't relate to this. Yeah. I don't relate to like Thoreau or all these things. And then it was like, (laughs) oh, but I definitely relate to Lenny Strobel. I definitely relate to like by Bailan. I, you know, that feels like my people. <laughs> for sure, for sure. And pre-pandemic, PSR was also such an interactive thing. It was like going to your family's house and just like 
putting uh, slides on the TV and, you know, her kids are in the next room running around. And she's also a teacher, I think, of some sort, or she's just really into like has all the school supplies for her own kids. Mm-hmm. So she creates all these like interactive activities for us to learn about like the presidents and, you know, came up with this colonial mentality bingo game. And I was just like, oh, oh this is such a fun way to learn, you know, <laughs> and where else do you have access to do things like that in community? You know, I also, that also just feels so Bay Area to me. <laughs> True. <laughs> I'll go to the house. We'll have a potluck. The kids are running around. Exactly. Exactly. Colonial mindset. <laughs> Stop for merienda in the middle. Like then have lunch together after and just hang out for another like hour or two. So it was, I just love the like casual feel of it as well. It's not so like you know, formal in terms of like, oh, there's going to be a test and here are the main points, like flashcards to memorize, you know, because I'm just not a person that's ever been into that kind of learning. (laughs) Not at all. And also it's like, it's pretty heavy stuff. Like it's very heavy. It can be a lot to digest. It is kind of depressing, especially with jail, you know, with decolonization school, it's a lot to unpack. If you go through like migration patterns, the Filipinos are like right now I'm reading the empire of care. It's like hella depressing. (laughs) Like a lot of it can be hella depressing. So it's like, if you can do it in a way that's joyful, like I feel like that's, especially in these times when I'm like, I've been reading all these books about like ancestral trauma. Like this book is blowing my mind. I don't know if you've read this by yeah. Resma. Oh my God, Menekin. It's called My Grandmother's Hands. And he talks about like police brutality and racism in the United States and how it goes all the way back to like generational trauma, which is Absolutely. all like that's part of decolonization process. Like it can be very heavy stuff, but if you can bring lightness to it, if you can bring joy, like I feel like recently I was talking with my friend Carolina Doe, who's like Vietnamese American. She's an actor here too. And she has a group called the Song Collective and they're a theater company basically. She was like, if we inherit our ancestral trauma, we have to also inherit our ancestral resistance or our ancestral joy or ancestral resilience and I yes that's not all there is for sure it has to be all of it it can't just be the shitty stuff you know yeah no I love that you pointed that out I think that's so important because I think we all hyper focus on like the generational trauma aspect of our experience and it's like well that's not all we got you know that's not all that was passed down to us we also got these tools to help combat that or to help evolve those narratives and so we have to maybe focus more on connecting through those instead you know but obviously all of it is important to learn about so yeah well, I mean today's Juneteenth right and there's like so many very we can talk tomorrow, about tomorrow tomorrow <laughs> tomorrow so but like today is like the federal holiday and, and there's oh mixed, right yes it's like which is new about it right yeah. like it's weird that we're like what about reparations or like what if, so now everyone gets a day off of work today and but also Juneteenth yeah. is so much more it's also like about resistance and all these things right it can't stop there yeah yeah yeah, yeah it's a very interesting interesting time yeah I, I just um it's not because I'm like you know, physically deteriorating right now, which is why I'm not talking. That's not the reason why I was just, I mean, it's part of it, but it's not, but I just love listening to you both, you know, and talking about this exchange of what's available today for all of us to learn and to do the whole decolonization for ourselves and all the resources, books, people, you know, that are alive today, you know, that we can talk to and kind of seek guidance and advice and inspiration for these types of 
things. And so I'm just, it's just reassuring to know that like, there's just so much of that today and that, you know, Nani and I have an opportunity to contribute to as well in regards to bringing light to all of this. Cause everything that you've been sharing, Francesca, like, I mean, that's the first time I've heard about, about a lot of those things to be quite honest. And so I also like knowing that, you know, being Filipino, like I have the rest of my life to figure this out. I have the rest of my life to like study these things. Nani and I were talking about this in a previous episode. You know, if anyone feels overwhelmed by our conversation right now, I want you to know, like, you don't have to know it all to be Filipino. You have the rest of your life, you know, to, to read all these things, to figure this out. And so it's just nice to know that there's just this, like there's a plethora of all of these resources and knowledge and people out there. And again, it gives me reassurance that like, the next generation is going to be okay. I mean, we're going to be okay. And the next generation is going to be okay as well. Yeah. I just, I'm just thinking about joy. You know what I mean? I feel like a lot of my friends that I collaborate with and like do theater with or film stuff, it's like, we don't want to, as we're coming out of the pandemic, like I don't want to do heavy stuff. Mm. Yeah. No, the heavy stuff is there. We've been living in the heavy stuff for a year. Yeah. Yeah. Long time. And that's, I feel like at least the art that I'm interested in making now in these times is centered in joy and centered in our joy, you know, centered in the Asian diaspora's joy, Asian women's joy, black folks' joy, all of us, like any global majority person's joy is what I want to see, you know, like on screen and on stage, because that also feels like a remedy, you know, yeah, for healing. Yeah. I think that that will be like the title of this episode, Centering Joy. I love that. (laughs) It's so important, you know, and I think that in terms of like the work that we've all been doing or the introspection that we were all pushed into over the course of the last year, because the pandemic is like really thinking about our identity and how we identify or connect with our, our heritage specifically for like black and Asian folks. And that is ever evolving. Identity is always changing because we as humans are always changing. So I think that there's never, like Jen said, it's lifelong work. It's that's the work, you know, And there's never a right or wrong answer. It's just how you're intellectualizing your experience at that moment in time. Mm -hmm. Word. (laughs) (laughs) I'm like trying to conserve energy here. Word. (laughs) No, I, I, I love it. And, and actually Francesca, I appreciate that you say that because, you know, one thing that I've been wanting to just be more into lately is humor and comedy. And I was just thinking like the last like therapy session I had, it was like so intensive. Like normally I, you know, for this entire pandemic, I had met my, you know, therapist, like virtually, obviously, like probably many of us has, if you had therapy during this time and we met in person for the first time to do like really intensive therapy. And, you know, normally I meet with her for an hour, but it went for like two hours because of just what we had to do. And like literally after that, there's a part of me, and this is like a couple of days ago already, but there's a part of me that's like, I was like, you know, like I have just been working really hard on myself for like the last year. Like I've had couples counseling. I've had my own therapist. I've been like doing all this podcasting thing. I've been doing a lot of inner work. I've been reading a lot of things like I'm tired. You know, like like you said, Francesca, it's like I just want to focus on joy now and focus on 
what makes me laugh. And like, I even had a friend I was catching up with the other day and she was like telling me about her life and what she was going through and how exciting it is. And just like, yeah, so how about you? And I was like, you know, I don't feel like talking about my personal life right now. Like I'm, I'm kind of tired. <laughs> like, like, I talk so about, much. <laughs> like I talk about like all the time. And, and I almost, I was like, I got emotional about it. I was like, honestly, like, I just, I don't want to talk about it. Like I've talked it out. Like I'm good. Like I just want to live my life now, you know? And so I just appreciate, you know, this whole conversation so far being focused on joy and enjoying what we're learning. And even with all the hard things that we have to unpack, even in our own heritage, but the good things that come with it too, as you said, Francesca, and like all the benefits that came from even that trauma, the flip side of it, you know, and our resiliency. So I just, I feel good. I feel good about this conversation and I just appreciate us opening up in this way. I mean, like 30 minutes in, but yeah, it was a great way to start a conversation. I'm just thinking about how heavy that question is nowadays of like, how are you? You're like, <laughs> you're yeah. like, hmm, how am I? <laughs> I was like, we uh, talk about this? <laughs> you, got, you got like an hour, like, you know, like, I was like, I reserve that for my therapist now. <laughs> like, yeah. she can ask me that question because it's heavy. <laughs> but yeah, no, you're right for sure. But let's go ahead and move on here. So, and real quickly to our listeners, if you are already engaged in our conversation and you are enjoying this, I just want to make sure if you are on your phone, which I know a lot of you do when you listen to the podcast, uh, check out Francesca on Instagram. You can find her on Cheska McKenzie or at Encompass NYC on Instagram. And of course, that'll be provided in the show notes as well. But feel free to reach out. Feel free to add her and be like, oh my gosh, I'm listening to your episode right now. <laughs> you know, like when this comes out, feel free to reach out. And of course, she has her website, FrancescaFM.com. And we'll talk about this a little more shortly, EncompassCollectiveNYC.com. Thank you so much for just, you know, it, it just feels like I'm talking to a friend right now. You know, it doesn't feel like, oh my gosh, it's Francesca. I'm so intimidated. You know, it's like, I'm talking <laughs> to her. I'm getting to know her. We're catching up. But, you know, as you know, the show is called the Filipino American Woman Project. And, you know, I'm always trying to figure out how to maybe rephrase this question. And so we did some brainstorming to our listeners, just so our listeners know we did a little sidebar thing. And so this is kind of a new way I'm asking this question. So in this segment, we want to talk a little bit about your origin, as well as your identity as a Filipina American woman. So would you like to elaborate on that and let us know a little bit about, let's say, your family history and what does it mean for you to be a Filipino American woman? Yeah, I'd love to. Great question. Okay. <laughs> well, thank uh, you for helping me. <laughs> so I'm from the San Francisco Bay Area. I proudly represent the Bay Yes. And so Ohlone territory. And my parents immigrated in 1987, like around when Marcos was overthrown. And that was partially why they moved. Wow. And it's actually, you know how like with Filipinos, you learn things later. Oh, I yeah. recently learned that my mom had no intention to live in the United States. And let me back up. So in terms of origins, my family, they come from Batangas, Pangasinan, Pampanga, and Bulacan. Oh, wow. That's like both sides of the family. But my mom and my dad were both raised in Manila, and they met in Manila, and they married in Manila. And then, you know, during the dictatorship, my father was like, he actually sent my mom to have me. So I was sort of like an anchor baby. And that was partially because of the political turmoil, even though my father has like had ties. His family were the accountants of the Marcos dictatorship, which is wow. Crazy. He was like the poorer relation, like he wasn't at the center of it, but his right, right, right. would do these things. And sometimes his stories are so weird. Like I have to correct him and be like, not the Marcos administration, you mean the Marcos dictatorship. <laughs> 
Like it's a very language is important, Dad. <laughs> language is important. And so he actually sent my mom over here to have me so that I would have dual citizenship mm-hmm. and then to come back to Manila. So he gave her like a small amount of money. She had two briefcases and my older sister. And they were just planning on coming back. But what happened was that my dad showed up like maybe when I was like three months old and he was like, we're not going back to the Philippines. So my mom truly, and I realized this, like I learned this like maybe a couple years ago that she left everything, her whole home, all of her childhood memories, everything thinking she was going to be back in less than a year. And now mm. she's been living in the United States ever since, you know, wow. it's longer. And I, you know, she will be, you know, she'll say like, I never felt like I fit in in, in the Philippines and this feels more like my home, but she's definitely Filipino. <laughs> yeah. But it's crazy to hear her stories as they slowly come out. She's one of seven sisters. They grew up pretty poor. My grandmother like grew up kind of like a adopted child. Like her parents had passed away. Her mom had passed away and her dad remarried. And so she Mm -hmm. was like not treated very kindly by the second mother. And my grandfather on my mom's side, I only know my mom's side more so than my dad's side, but my grandfather was like a second family. His mom was like a second wife and they had a separate house on the property and all these things. So that's like, these are all things that I like recently learned and I'm like, oh, that's interesting. Yeah. (laughs) Things that you've never told me before, but they kind of, you know, they like- How does that sit with you? Like, I know that you're like kind of hearing it for the first time, but like, how, how have you been able to process it? Like, what has it meant to you to know this information? Well, I'm proud to say that I'm first generation and- I don't even know if that like term is outdated, but I still identify that that way as like first generation and and that I was the first one born in the U.S. on both sides of my family. Mm. And I think it's interesting. I'm actually I'm I'm writing a play. That was my pandemic play. Oh, there you go. (laughs) I have not finished the end, but a lot of it is because these stories from my family keep on coming up. And I'm like, I'm drawn to the fact that my dad had these ties to the Marcos regime. And I yeah fascinated by my mother being in a super matriarchal family like I feel like I was raised not by my mother but by seven women and my grandmother who was sort of like the sun that everyone orbited around and she lived mm-hmm. in the outer sunset like in San Francisco and we would stay with her every weekend and my mom was a single mom for like four or five years so like we were raised in community you know yeah. And that feels very Philippine. I'm very proud of that. But I also recognize like things as I'm now as an adult, like unpacking, like, why do I hate men so much? Or like, why don't I trust men? I was raised by a bunch of Amazons. Now it makes sense. Yes. (laughs) Raised by a bunch of Amazons and learning now more to be less like that, like to have that. I feel like that's been a big part of the past couple of years for me. It's like, I don't need to hold on to like the ancestral rage <laughs> or any any of those things or the things that I have for myself. Sometimes I feel like I make excuses like, oh, it's the ancestors, but it's, you know, my own rage around misogyny and just being like, how do I meet people as people for my yeah. own self, for my own health, for my, you know, my desire for joy and empathy, you know, which is yeah. a big part of my job. Like, I feel yeah. like the biggest part of being an actor or an artist is like having radical empathy, you know, mm-hmm. which is in itself like a big personal journey for me, I think. In terms of like, how do you center joy? Like you have to humanize people, like you have to understand, want to understand people and where they're coming from with like loving kindness, you know? Yeah. 
For so sure. I, feel, I feel good. I mean, I've gone through the gambit of all kinds of things, but now <laughs> it's just like, I got to get this play finished. <laughs> like, how am I but it's like, very, you know, it's inspired by my family, which is exciting, you know? Yeah. And that's another thing too, like Jen, when you were talking about therapy and how, I mean, I did, I love therapy so much, but there's something in like the artist's way and I was reading it and side note, my therapist that I had during the pandemic tried to convert me to Catholicism and that's why I stopped going oh, there. Well, she was like, a Vietnamese woman she was lovely she helped me so much with like my anger and like family stuff but then she started to try to be like you should be Christian I was like I got oh go. that's interesting <laughs> you were a I feel like that's crossing like, some kind of line is that allowed are you allowed to do that as a licensed therapist no, no but I feel like during the pandemic people were acting all like acting all kinds of crazy and I was like <laughs> yeah that's true I feel like you you it was, it was crazy but with her I was reading like the artist's way like it's a trilogy so the second one of the artist's way and they were like therapy is what you do to understand your life like therapy helps you contextualize to understand to make meaning but when you make art you're world building you're creating Mm. your life you're like processing the things you understand about your life and turning it into something of its own you know or Mm. or beautiful or healing or cathartic or whatever yeah so that's where I'm at (laughs) yeah I like that because I think for me I feel like I'm kind of going back and forth even with my current therapist I'm like should I just like should I keep seeing her or should I just like live my life you know and I've been thinking about this for a while now there's like there's like new information and I am like I've been thinking about like breaking up with my therapist but I think part of it's because I just want to create now you know like I feel like I've unpacked enough and it's hard for me to kind of update my friends on my life because sometimes I'll be like, well, why don't you do this instead? And I was like, well, the thing is, like, I'm very self-aware of my circumstances. And part of why it's hard for me to catch up with friends nowadays, it's like, because I don't want them to help me fix my problems. It's like, I'm aware of what my problems are. But now I want to, you know, with that knowledge to actually do stuff, to put stuff out there, you know? So, you know, in the last, like, at the time of this recording, like at the beginning of this week, I like finished a website that I was working on for like two weeks, like obsessively. And I finally got it done and it, it felt good. It was therapeutic, right? Like it was therapeutic to like create something, put something together. And, you know, even doing something such as podcasting to talk about these things out loud. It's like, yeah, like, I think I'm in a place now you're helping me kind of see I'm in a place right now. It's like, maybe I do need to let her go because like I unpacked it all. Like, I feel like I know where I'm at and I just want to go out there and I want to give to the world and I want to, you know, add that value and, you know, kind of find, you know, seek out kind of that therapy in that way, you know, by giving back in a sense. So I, I like how you said that because it, it got me to think about my own circumstances. <laughs> yeah, I like how you answered the question about your identity and how you interpret your identity as a Filipina in the sense of like this transformative process from, you know, and the purpose of therapy being the self-awareness piece, you know, or the learning aspect of it. But it's like therapy is not the end all be all. It's what you do with the information that you learn there, which is the transformative part and how your identity really develops, you know, if that's the work that you're doing. So I love that you answered that question that way. I thought that was really insightful. Yeah. I recommend the artist way because I mean, you're both creators and, you know, yeah, always like humans are always creating, but definitely watching y'all's work, you're creators as well. So it's like, how do we apply all the learnings that we have from exactly therapy or workshops or whatever? Exactly. And art comes in so many forms. You know, it can be the oral history. It can be actual acting. It can be film production. It can be writing, et cetera. So 
you're more of an artist than you probably think you are, you know, even if you're not in the, the profession. Yes. Anyone out there? Yes. You're an, <laughs> you're an artist in your own regard. I love to say that to Filipinos, especially Panais, because it's like it took me a long time to accept that I was an actor, that I was yeah. an artist because I didn't see it in the media. I wasn't yeah. getting that support from my family initially. Yeah. And so it takes a long time. But you are. It's in our blood. Like, yeah. We like to say we invented karaoke and (laughs) (laughs) that is art. (laughs) We are all artists. Yeah, absolutely. (laughs) I love that. I feel like it always takes an artist to tell everyone you're an artist too. (laughs) So I just, I love that because it's true. And I appreciate you saying that we're artists here. We're creatives here. Being able to put together this podcast is a form of art, you know, in itself. And so I just, it's just nice to, you know, be able to acknowledge that. One more thing I will say about that is that, you know, during this time when we were in shutdown and I didn't have any work for a really long time, which is partly what Encompass Collective came out of, was that my friends and I were like, we can't do the thing that we love. But it was like, we have seen in this time how essential art really is. Mm -hmm. Like, that's what got us, that's what got me through the pandemic was listening to podcasts, was binge watching a lot of (laughs) K-dramas or whatever, you know, it's like how essential it is for humans to create things and to share them with other humans. And, you know, so I'm curious about what kind of art comes out. Like I have trepidations about Broadway and theater reopening in New York. And there's already so much like inequity, of course, and like gatekeeping there in our community is very, you know, very just super, I don't know what to say. There's just a lot. It's it's a little really fucked up. I have to say like the theater, there's a lot of things about the New York theater community that are kind of coming out as I'm sure many sectors of just like, this is where the inequities are. This is what is systemically wrong yeah. and patriarchal and elitist and all these things. And I, I like to hope because I'm an optimist that that means that it'll cause a revolution or it'll change the way we do things. But I guess we'll see. Like there's this group called APAC. I don't even know what they, I have to look up what they stand for, but they just came out with a, a report and they're really, really, okay. The Asian American Performers Action Coalition and they're New York based and they do a report in terms of representation on all like New York stages every year. And their report for before the pandemic, like 2018, 2019 season dropped today, you know, and it was depressing. Mm. <laughs> it's yeah. kind of see, like how many directors, you know, producers, actors that are Asian actually get to work in a season and yeah. Um, I don't know. These times have made us more resilient, I think. It'll be other yeah. kind of art comes out of it, you know? And again, it's a two-part process. You know, the first part is gathering this information and sharing it and doing the learning. And the next part is like revolutionizing it. Like, what are we doing with this information now? How are we using it for change? Yeah. It's yeah. Age of Aquarius. I <laughs> one of this. I totally, like with Zodiacs, I, I'm like, yeah, it's Age of Aquarius. Everything's going <laughs> to be uprooted yes uprooted yes (laughs) I appreciate you bringing light to that with Broadway because you know even for myself when I think about my perception of what it means to be like a professional artist a professional actor for me I thought of like well if you're not on Broadway or you're not in Hollywood you know you're not like you're just not And, you know, with what you're doing with Encompass Collective, I like that you are bringing more light and exposure to BIPOC artists to be able to be in these kind of spaces. And if not these particular exact spaces like Broadway and let's say Hollywood, but in other spaces as well, like knowing.
knowing that those aren't the only two stages out there, you know, to be successful. And so I figured we can go ahead and transition into that, into your life today, Francesca. So if you guys aren't uh, following Encompass Collective on Instagram, um, check it out, Encompass NYC. One thing I like about your um, headline there in your Instagram account, Francesca, is you say dismantling white supremacy, one scene at a time. So tell us a little bit about, you know, what you do and unpack that for us. I really like that line, dismantling white supremacy, one scene at a time. No, isn't it catchy? I did not write that. That was one of <laughs> Whoever did, it's catchy. Kudos. Janelle Chu, Janelle Chu for the win. And, it, you know, we started Encompass Collective August of 2020. Wow. And it was myself and three of my collaborators that I went to school with. And one of them is Janelle. And Janelle kind of like said that just like, you know, cheekily. And we were like, wait a second. <laughs> and why did that? Yeah, and it, it's That's catchy. Like, it's a beautiful thing. It's interesting because right now we're sort of in this like reflection phase since I've been back in New York, you know, because I came back in March for an artist residency and we were like, how do we do this intentionally? Because we kind of came out of a reaction, right? So it was like, we don't have any work right now. We want to do the things that we love, but we want to do it in a way that's aligned with our values, especially coming out of the summer that we had with the, you know, the uprisings and everything that's like, how do we make sure that we have a daily anti-racist practice? Mm. And then why are we doing these things as artists that are aligned with our values and our vision for like our work and our industry and like future generations? And that was why we decided that we wanted to create actor training that was just in affinity space. And at the time we were like, yeah, BIMPOC, so like black, indigenous, mixed race, people of color. And now we're moving more towards the term global majority. Mm. Like, I don't know, it just, BIMPOC just sounds, I can't, I can't, I'm not, I'm not with it. I can't <laughs> even like, I mean, clearly I've already pronounced it wrong too, but I thought it was BIPOC. No, it is BIPOC. It oh, is. it is. Okay. And like, to be quite honest, like the term is fairly new to me. Again, I'm shamefully saying this as hosting a, a BIPOC show essentially, but like, you know, it's, it's interesting, but anyway, I'm listening. Like, I, I want to hear more of what you have to say about it. I, off, I offer this term global majority to you because it sits better on my tongue. And it, I feel like that makes more sense to me for my identity. And so we were just saying we wanted to create a space for global majority artists where they weren't the minority or they weren't entering into a predominantly white institution or predominantly white space which mm -hmm. is what it feels like a lot of times in this industry. And you know, yeah. I'm sure, you know, in our industry, but in many industries, right? So, and that's something with affinity space, you know, like studies have been done in terms of like self-esteem and skill building that like, if you do feel safe and comfortable that you can excel, you know, that you'll excel, you'll succeed more. Yeah. And then if you're in it, sometimes affinity space can be really important, like Gabriella, right? Like, so that, we can increase our skill set, that we can like build our confidence. That way, when we go into predominantly white spaces, we can be our authentic self. Yeah. Right? So that's something like with actors of, you know, you got your white voice, right? Like if you go into the audition, you use your white voice or all these things. And it's, it's just funny because a lot of my friends that I went to school with, like we talk about it in these ways, but I think the most extraordinary thing I got out of Yale, because it wasn't always like a happy time, but what I did get out of it was how to really maintain and stand strongly in who I am mm. regardless of what was going on around me and how I am like a first generation Filipina you know and I you know as you my last name is Mackenzie and that's because when my mom remarried she married an American guy a white guy from Glendale and that is a huge part of who I am as well like he really helped shape 
who I am. And you of know, course. the spoons were taken away after my mom married and we weren't using our hands. We're using these using forks. Yeah. <laughs> and he also, and I think there was a long time where I had, you know, tension with my dad while I was going through this sort of understanding around racism. But now we're in a beautiful place because there's things that he has offered me around emotional intelligence that my mother doesn't really, she's not down with that. You know, <laughs> so there's, all these, there's all these things now with my parents that I'm like, so thankful that like I am Francesca Fernandez McKenzie and, and I've gone through different things of just wanting to be Fernandez or just wanting to be McKenzie. And now it's kind of like, I'm all three but it's a long ass name um, <laughs> that's okay that's true Filipino tradition to have a long ass name <laughs> but like bringing out all those complications and bringing them into my work instead of feeling like oh I have to act a, oh you know like more white or I have to act or this cut way. out this part of me while I'm in this space yeah, yeah. and how how like with in a global majority space I often feel like I can be myself without any fear you know so we were like we want to create this space so that our students won't be traumatized like the way we were in grad school in those spaces, yeah. but that they can go out and feel like strong about who they are and also feel like they're good actors, you know? Yeah. Yeah. And giving them the opportunity to do that outside of the standards that are set by white supremacy. And, you know, like how Jen was saying, even for her, someone who is not in like show business, that's how she interprets professionalism in the sense of artistry is, are you on Broadway? Are you in Hollywood? Which is, I think, most of us and the hierarchy, I guess, that's created. And so I love that, A, that this was a result of your response to all the uprisings and everything that happened during the pandemic and that you're able to move so intentionally with your work and really provide those opportunities to do that. And then I was just thinking about this is the first time that I'm hearing that term global majority, but I like it a lot. I was listening to a podcast the other day that was unpacking the whole BIPOC thing and whether or not that's harmful or fair, like a fair term to use in the sense of not like equating all of our experiences as non-white people. And so that's the term that they were going with was just say non-white instead of BIPOC. And I'm like, okay, <laughs> this conversation is ever changing as well. So it's hard to keep up sometimes, but I do appreciate that, that context that you gave as global majority. Yeah, I feel like we should call this like the Global Majority Project. <laughs> no, no, we're keeping the name. <laughs> and, uh, you know, I, and when you were talking about your name, Francesca, like Francesca Fernandez McKenzie, it got me to think about like why, you know, and Nani knows this. I, I've always been back and forth on maybe possibly renaming our show, maybe to sound a little more palatable for, you know, audiences that aren't in our space or don't identify as Filipino-American women. But also it's just so it doesn't feel like it's a mouthful to say. But in reality, I have chose to own it because that's really all we are. We are Filipino, American, and we're women, at least those who identify as women. And I want to be proud about that. You know, like I want us to be allowed to take space in that sense because we are all of that. You know, even for myself, like right now, kind of being in this like white dominated community, you know, there is a part of me where it's like, oh, you know, how do I code switch? Like, do I have to sound more American here? Do I, I mean, not that I can't, I'm very Americanized, but like, you know, just kind of knowing like, are there certain things I should say around certain people because of the color of my skin or what have you? And it's always like that constant 
you know, balance of like, kind of like what you said, like, should I use my white voice today? You know, it's an interesting thing to juggle at the same time. It is all that we are. And I just love that you are doing Encompass Collective to, you know, to teach actors and artists to embrace all that they are, you know, even with those different dimensions of, you know, juggling with different cultures. It's, I feel like it's an ongoing journey, right? Like it's probably something that we're always going to have to, you know, deal with. But I, I think just being grounded and feeling safe and confident in your identity, I think is the start of being able to thrive um, as you mentioned, like people do a lot better. They function a lot better. They produce better things when they feel like they're in a safe, supported environment. And again, I like the work that you're doing, you know, with Encompass Collective. So kudos to you and your team <laughs> for, for doing it. Yes, it's really fulfilling. And hopefully we'll be in person by the end of the summer if it's safe to do so. Like we're looking at spaces and we want to continue to offer things and yeah. connecting our students and our students are from all over the world, but like connecting our students with our friends who, you know, and we're opening it up. So it's not just people who went to Yale because that's enough. We don't want to be elitist, but it's like having all these different global majority teachers to just share what works for them. And that's yeah. kind of also kind of dismantling the hierarchy. Like we're not saying like when we went to Yale, it's like the right way or the wrong way. It's like, there's no right way or wrong way. This, this is, is just how we do it. Exactly. Yeah. Like, you can take it or leave it. You can hate Shakespeare if you want to. I don't care. You know, like, <laughs> yeah. Take it and make it your own. Exactly. Yeah. 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 I like that collective experience. It's not like it's like you said, it's not a hierarchy thing. It's not like, oh, just because I went to Yale, you know, kind of thing. It's like this is all collective learning together, you know. By the way, I am curious to know, because I feel like you're the first person we've interviewed that I'm aware of that went to Yale. Tell us a little bit about your, uh, you're like rolling your eyes already. So tell, <laughs> tell us a little bit about your experience. Good, bad, ugly. I don't know. <laughs> it's just funny because, you know, when I meet people, I mean, we think about it, right? It's like, there's some amazing actors who have gone through that program, you know, like Meryl Streep and... Um, Tony Shalhoub and all these people that I really look up to. And I feel like I got what I came for when I went there. It was like a three-year master's program and I wanted to be trained. I've never had like a, you know, formal training, which was partially because it took me a long time to be like, okay, yeah, I'm an actor, you know? Yeah. But And then once I did, all these doors opened up, like getting into this dream school and I learned so much and I'm so thankful for it. But, you know, it was built upon you know slave owners built Yale it's there's blood in those halls there's like elitism in those halls it's very it, I feel like I moved to New Orleans partially to kind of run away from tenants of American culture that I didn't like mm. you know and that was like at the time when like the tech boom was growing and I was like I don't want to move to the marina and work at yeah. <laughs> and, and that's why I kind of went to New Orleans because like in New Orleans the cultures it's community it's mm. it's celebration it's pleasure it's joy it's it's family it's all these things and I was drawn to that and then I went to Yale which was like the epicenter of these things that I had run away from so I definitely was depressed my first year it took a while for me to kind of culturally adjust to Yale mm. and it was like East Coast specifically like Connecticut East Coast culture which is like so different from New York. I love New York so much. Like, <laughs> I can only imagine. I don't, I've never hung out in Connecticut. To never want to go back. God, never want to go back. But I mean, it was, so it was challenging at times. My class was the first acting class that was majority people of color. There was like a time where they were like, we're trying to be more inclusive. But it was a lot of talk or it was just yeah. bureaucratic. 
So people still continue to leave that program frustrated or, you know, traumatized, all these different things. But then you also have people that have blown up to be huge stars, you know, like Lupita or Yaya or, you know, Moses, all these people. So it's such a crazy place to have been. I'm so thankful for it. But yeah, I wasn't always happy. I think I was, I wasn't, I would tell people I wasn't always happy when I was there, but I was always grateful. Mm -hmm. But it definitely taught me a lot about the industry, which I think also kind of influences a lot of me, my co-founders and I, how we teach like our ethos around pedagogy. Because when we were at school, they were so staunchly opposed to changing the pedagogy, even though the students were saying like, we need more diverse faculty. We need more diverse curriculum. You need to change the pedagogy. And they didn't want to do it. They're like, yeah, okay. (laughs) Yeah, they didn't want to do it. I was like, the pedagogy was the hardest thing for them. And I think we are still figuring out as like a collective, we've been trained in this way, but we recognize there's got to be a better way. And what is that? Like, what does that look like? And that's one of the things. It's like, we don't put anything on a pedestal. Yeah. We put ourselves on a pedestal. We don't put any content that we share on a pedestal. It's just like, we're going to make it accessible to you. We're going to facilitate your journey and you like take what you can and you go, you know? And that you can find mentorship and that you can find community, but it's not necessarily like this sort of, we're not like training people to be like the next big movie star, you know? Of course I would, I mean, if that were to happen to me, I'd be like, dope. I'll I'll ride that wave, you know, like I'll go wherever it is where I can tell stories and do the thing that I love. But also like, how do we develop artists that are not necessarily trying to become huge movie stars, but they care about like being an artist with, you know, with a purpose, with a purpose about hopefully making the world a better place or like a little less inequitable, you know? Yeah, for sure. It goes back to just even breaking my own perception of artistry is, you know, going back to my, how I perceived Broadway and Hollywood. And it's like, oh, you're not, you're not professional. You're not, you know, successful unless you're in one of those two things. And I just love that, you know, it's like, Hey, that would be great. That'd be great. If you become famous one day and you end up in one of those places, but it's more than that. Like this is a way to maybe help heal the world, help spread joy to the world, you know, and doing it in this fashion that, you know, happens to feel right for you and giving you that space to, you know, to thrive and to learn in a way that is safe and comfortable and, you know, with your people in a sense, you know? And so I really like that. Yeah, no, I was just thinking, you know, being able to bring your authentic self to work in any field or industry, not just acting or art, I think is what breeds just organic growth. And that will happen, you know, the stardom or the success, if you will, will come organically when people feel able to do that. So I think that that's the true work that you guys are doing is really encouraging that and giving people space to do it. Yeah, for sure. And then the other thing I was just going to add was like, in this space, it's redefining or even deconstructing what success looks like, right? Because again, I go back to my perception here of what I think success should be as an artist. But for you, it's like, well, it could be something else. It doesn't have to be that. That would be great, but it doesn't have to be that. It could be actually be something better than that, you know? So yeah, I think that's amazing. And I'm inspired by you. And I know that you are inspiring the next generation as well. I'm curious to know, actually, from maybe your, what would you call them? Like your students, you know, like, what would you say is like the number one feedback or story from them where you're like, yeah, this is why I do what I do? Well, you know, what I love, you know, is hearing from some of my students how I'm thinking about one in particular, how she was just like, I didn't think there was a place for me Yeah, telling these stories because I didn't see anyone who looked like me. And then I took this class and I realized that like, I have to, like I do have a place and that my stories are important and that to share like who I am, who my family is, is important. 
And that it's so nice to hear my students, you know, who are younger than me, kind of recognizing that much earlier. I'm like, good. Yeah. It takes a lot. So it took me a long time. And it was partially because I didn't have a mentor. I didn't see other people who looked like yeah. me. I was constantly in spaces where I was the only person of color or the only Asian person, you know? And so that was just very, and now I think I've been very intentional about creating a community that is majority like people of color and queer and, and it makes me feel seen. And those are the people I want to work with. And so many of my collaborators are Panais, you know, like I know I recommended a bunch of my friends and it's like, that to me is success. I think. Yes. You know, like that is what I'm realizing because I feel like there was such a hole for so long. Like even though I loved theater and I loved acting, I always kind of felt this like disconnect, like a, like it just didn't quite fit. And now it's like I'm in this community of like really badass Asian American <laughs> artists and specifically Southeast Asian because we know like being Southeast Asian and being like brown Asian yeah. is different. And, that, and that's something that I feel like these conversations are being had more within our Asian diaspora this year because of the increased hate crimes. And it is sad, but that's the silver lining for me. Like I'm thankful to be able to say, Yeah, in these spaces, can I talk about how my experience is different? Can we talk about colorism? Can we talk about skin privilege? You know, because that is in our own diaspora, something. Yeah, problematic. Yeah. Yeah. You know, because we have such a, you know, yeah, being so so that's even, I'm so excited to be in an awesome Asian American, like know so many amazing Asian American theater makers and artists here, but the ones I'm most excited about are Southeast Asian or Filipino because I see there's things that they're doing right now in their work that I'm like, yes, let's complicate it. Like we're not a monolith, you know, like we're not. I like that. Let's complicate it. Let's make it it more. And that's something JL says a lot too, right? Like she's always like, if you think it's complicated, it is like, just go deep and deep and deep. And I I think that is true. It's like, yeah, you know, it's like, we're not just this one thing. Try to simplify everything. Yeah. Yeah trying to culturally appropriate everything, right? Yeah, and thank God, I think that's the silver lining of all these terrible things that are happening to our elders and in our community. It's like, well, yeah, maybe we'll stop being so quiet. Let's all be a little bit more (laughs) angry and a little bit more loud. (laughs) For sure, and maybe that's the way that we redefine success in these industries instead of making a name for ourselves. It's like the name that we're making for our community and how we're rewriting our cultural narratives. Yeah. And it also feels like being in solidarity. Yeah. Me, you know, for sure. If, if we could like be model minorities and be quiet and like do all these things, or we could actually say, yes, I experience racism and I see the racism that happens in other communities too, you know? Yeah. I mean, I, I talk about it so much, but I think it's a big part of my artistry, you know, because I don't know, it's just shaped a lot of who I am and I think about it all the time. And it's a big part of my work because it's like making work with other Filipinos or like, doing work that is talking about our experiences or, you know, what's okay or not okay. (laughs) Yeah. All that being said, it's like, you know, with every episode that we do on the show, it just reminds me of how much I enjoy being part of the collective. And, you know, I just think about, I mean, it's nice to stand out, but it's like, I also like, don't want to stand out, you know, like I like being able, like, for example, I was doing this speaking engagement recently that I was telling Nani for our show. And I was telling her afterward, I mean, I was telling her before, during and afterward, I was like, Nani, I wish I did this with you. Like we come together as a package and they made me do it without you. (laughs) 
and I didn't feel like myself. Like I couldn't feel like I could fully represent the show, you know, without Nani. And I like that. I like knowing it's like, hey, of course I need help. I have a co-host, you know, like I may be the founder, but like the show wouldn't be possible if I didn't have Nani like help me, you know, and, and do this with me. And I just like that we're in this space now. It feels like we're in this space where it is about celebrating that collectivism, that togetherness, that like complementing each other. Let's do this together kind of thing and not, you know, put things on a pedestal, like you said, or make things inaccessible to be able to just, you know, share. And I'm here for it. So that's really what I'm trying to say. (laughs) So, Francesca, before we wrap up, I always like to end this with a life lesson for our listeners to contemplate about for the weekend and, you know, for this next week before the next episode comes out. So for you, I'm just going to read what you wrote here. I am learning a lot about letting go of control, allowing myself to flow with life and be patient with what I am growing in my life and my career. Mm -hmm. Would you like to elaborate on that? Good job, Francesca. Okay, well, I feel like, you know, because I've been an actor and just living off of most of my acting jobs or teaching jobs since I was 19. So like the pandemic was really hard because all of that dried up. Mm -hmm. But then it made me the silver lining was like, I had to sit in a room by myself and be like, do I like this person that I'm sitting alone in a room with? And what the things I don't like, why? And like, what kind of, you know, what are the like thinking about success and all these things. So I feel like this past year has been a very reflective time for me. And then I lived with my family for six months. I lived with my mom and I haven't lived with my mom since I was 18. So that was challenging thing. (laughs) Probably your sister Joe can attest to like that was, it was challenging. Like I had to really face a lot of things that I have been running away from or like the sort of like subconscious anger towards my parents that like just really, I didn't need to be in that sort of victim mentality. Yeah. Exactly. I was like, actually, this is my stuff. This isn't their stuff. And how do I, mm. how do I forgive faster? How do I learn to be more patient and like really try hard to just be intentional about that? And it feels like it makes sense that I was home and doing that, you know? And also like, I left the Bay Area because I was in a very bad place emotionally. I'd had two friends that had passed away that were my age. I was very angry. I kind of like ran away from the Bay. And now it's like, as I'm older and coming back, it's like, it feels so healing to be there because I feel like I make so much sense in the Bay Area. Like I just love, love being there and I love being with my family. Mm -hmm. And it was a good healing experience, I think, to be there for six months. I think I needed that. And I'm really grateful that I was able to kind of be in better relation to my family, you know, yeah. really focus on that, you know, during that time. Cause in that time, it's like the first thing I would think of during the lockdown was I need to be near them. Like it was almost like a physical pull to, yeah. to just make sure I was in their vicinity. Yeah. So it was hard, but it was good. And I feel like I grew a lot. And then I went to San Diego and I was like living with a friend and then I got a residency. And I remember being like, but when I was in my mom's apartment, feeling like a loser, like not knowing what I was doing with my life or like, am I ever going to act again? What's happening? It was like, cause you know, you build something, you build your thing. You think you're on this trajectory. I'm going to be the lead in this show. And then it's all just gone. And it's like, well, who am I? Yeah. All of that gone, which I think is a good learning experience. And I remember being in my mom's apartment being like, I want to go back to New York. I want to live by myself. I want to be able to make art with my friends and all that. And then 
I feel like I manifested that. Thanks, Nicole. Like, I feel like <laughs> <laughs> Nicole's coach, coaching, like, I feel like it came full around because I applied for this artist residency and I got it and it was like a year of free housing in Chelsea. Mm. So I'm now in this like bougie ass apartment. <laughs> yeah, y'all, if y'all are from New York, holler at me. We can have a, like a bougie time in, in Chelsea. <laughs> and it was exactly what I had, you know, want, I set intentions for, you know? So I feel like in retrospect, like a year ago, I wouldn't have been able to have this conversation with y'all. I would have been like drunk and going crazy and like, what's going on? What is the world? What is time? But now I'm in this place where I'm like, wow, I went on that journey. Like we, I went on that journey and I actually like, it was fruitful for me and it was good for me. And it's going to help carry me into, you know, whatever this new world looks like, you know? Yeah, I love this reflection that you're having about your time over the pandemic. I think I wrote a newsletter for our community like a week or two ago about this basically. And, you know, just don't abandon all of that work that you did over the course of the pandemic, even though, you know, it's sunny outside, it's nice, people are vaccinated, you can go have your fun now, as you should. You know, I want people to center joy and celebrate themselves, celebrate all the people that they haven't been able to hang out with in over a year. But at the same time, don't forget, you know, everything that you just went through and all the work that you just put in and how far you've come, you know, all the lessons that you've learned along the way. And I feel like this conversation around having those difficult or like dealing with tension in your family came up for a lot of us during the pandemic. That's like a really common theme that I'm finding in everyone that we're interviewing lately because we probably, most of us did go back and spend a little bit of time with our families. I definitely lived with my mom for like six weeks or something while I was in the transition of moving. And the same kind of stuff was coming up for me is like, wow, why am I like, how do I hold all of this? Like, what's the word I'm looking for? Uh, subdued, like resentment and anger that I have for her. And also how do I recognize that this is my shit? It's not her shit, you know? Mm -hmm. And I think that that's still a conversation that I'm still trying to unpack with myself to this day, even though we're not in each other's spaces anymore. So I appreciate you also outlining that. I think that's an important point to note when we have those hard feelings towards our parents or towards our elders. It's like, this is our shit. It's not their shit. And we need to find a way to make peace with it in a way that's not harmful to them, you know, because rarely are their intentions to have the impact that they have had. So, yeah. 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 I'm just listening to you both. And I hear what you're saying, Francesca. And I feel fortunate in a way that my life had an entirely crash and burned during, you know, 2020, because just kind of the willingness you had to unpack that, you know, being with your family. I mean, that's something I still struggle with till this day. And, you know, obviously if I was forced into do it, I would get into the mindset to, you know, figure it out. But I think that is interesting to think about of like, you know, maybe part of why we don't want to come back home is because we want to feel like we made it. You know, we want to feel like we flew out of the nest and we don't have to be there. You know, we want to feel like I'm a different person now, mom, you know, <laughs> like you don't, don't talk to me the way that I don't call me that name. Like I'm not a child anymore, you know, like stuff like that. Like my mom calls me Jennifer and I like my name, Jennifer, but my, only my family calls me Jennifer. So it's like, if someone calls me Jennifer. I'm like, Oh my God, I'm back home. I'm back home. I'm back. You know, I go back to 10 years old. I'm a child again. <laughs> yeah. You know, like, oh, mom, mom's making food for me. No, I know how to cook now, mom. You know, it's just like all these things. And, but I also really like just the thought of like, 
you know, if, if, if you did lose it all, for example, like, like in the, in that case, when you were, you didn't have any work during the pandemic, it's like, do you like yourself? Do you like who you've become at that point? And I don't have an immediate answer for that, but I think that is something worth contemplating. And I think a lot of us did think about that. A lot of us did lose opportunities in 2020. And, and I just only imagine, and I know that we're in a space now where things are opening up and we just want to put joy out there. But, and just like what Nani said, like, don't forget, like, don't forget that deep self-reflection that you did during 2020. And who knows? I mean, we may be lucky that something like that may never, ever happen again, you know, crossing fingers, <laughs> but, uh, but don't forget that time. Don't forget that time where you actually did look at yourself because I think it's rare in a busy world right now for us to look inward in that sense. So yeah, I just, just listening to you both, like really just touched me. Francesca, this was an amazing conversation today. I just want to thank you again so much for your time, for your friendship, you know, for catching up again and being here and any closing thoughts before we go? <laughs> I'm just glad to be here. I don't know. I'm, I'm very, I've, I was I was listening to another podcast of uh, the Happiness Lab yesterday about Taoism. I was like, yeah, I feel like if I was anything, I'd be a Taoist. Like I'm just flowing. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, and, I, and I'm really happy for you too that you're like in a great place now, you know, because, you know, there, we had had guests on our show, especially at the beginning, where they would say like, well, I was doing this, I was doing all that. And then the pandemic hit, you know, it was like a lot of that story, you know, it's yeah. like, well, I'm really doing nothing right now. But before pandemic, this was what I was doing. So in a way, it is refreshing, right, to kind of come to our show at a time where you have a residency and you're back in New York and you're in your best element again. It must feel so refreshing. And to know that you can share that self-reflection that you did go through, like you're not in the middle of it anymore. Like you're now in the, in the space of creating joy and providing value to the world. Thank you. Well, I feel like, I think I got an email from y'all like five months ago and I remember being like, Nope, (laughs) I'm not in a place to talk to anybody right now. But now I do feel good. and, and, And it's beautiful to be in New York city in this time and to see the city opening up and for yeah. people to be together. And I feel very grateful. I'm very thankful. I'm thankful f- to talk to the both of you. And yeah, I'm just flowing, I guess. <laughs> yeah, no. And thank you for taking that time, you know, five months ago to say like, no, putting the boundary up. Yeah. This is the time that I need to take for myself. This is the processing that I still need to do so that you could, you know, show up today as your authentic yeah. self and really embody, I think, the theme of this conversation, which is centering joy. So you are definitely bringing joy to our day today. And yeah, your you energy, have like such a huge smile. Your is like so infectious. Yes. Yeah, I love it. <laughs> It's like I'm, once I see a Filipina, like my mom, like when we would travel and like there'd be a Filipina, they'd be like, oh yeah, t- like like at the store, like here, take all this research. That's how I feel. I'm like, Filipinas, yeah! Yes, <laughs> yes. We need more of that energy. So keep with those vibes and thank yeah. you for showing up as you today. <laughs> yeah, yeah. I think you made up for me today and <laughs> just kind of my time of the month, but I hope I performed decently today. Jen, you were great too. Okay. Okay. This was wonderful. It's been such a pleasure having you on our show. Thank you so much again for your time. If you all want to get a hold of Francesca, she has a couple of ways where you can reach out to her on Instagram, Cheska McKenzie or Encompass NYC. And of course, we'll have the other links in there, like her Facebook account, but also check out our website, FrancescaFM.com, or also learn about Encompass Collective at EncompassCollectiveNYC.com. And of course, to us, if you want to engage with Nani and I, we do have a phone number, 415-484-8329. 
nine. If you are not comfortable sharing your number, totally get it. You can email us at Jen, J-E-N at tifaproject.com or Nani, N-A-N-I at tifaproject.com or go to our website, tifaproject.com or support our show, biasboba.com. <laughs> we have a lot of things, a lot of fun things to promote to all of you, especially as Nani and I continue to grow and evolve the show. So with that being said, Nani, thank you for co-hosting as always. Yes. Thank you for having me and being a part of this conversation today. I had so much fun. Yes. And of course, Francesca, thank you again for joining us. We really appreciated our conversation today. Thank you for inviting me. Yes. And to our listeners, we will chat with you in the next episode. We love you so much. Tune in next time. Bye. Bye.